on the way home from Jackson this week, we put on 94.1 when we got into Nashville because they play Christmas music all the time. And one of the first songs I heard was, It's the most wonderful time of the year. Now, when I hear that song, I think of Andy Williams. Now, some of you in this room wouldn't think I would even know who Andy Williams is. But I think of Andy Williams and those old Christmas specials. You know, when I was growing up in my house, Christmas meant Christmas music. And in our house, there were two guys that were there all the time. There was Elvis, Perry Como. And then when I got to be about 10 years old, my mom bought the Kenny and Dolly duet album. And that played for months. But this week I've been thinking about that song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. The video just kind of showed it's been a kind of a crazy year, hadn't it? I mean, 2008, I remember specifically standing here as we were beginning 2008 and talking about all the things that the year might bring and all of the dates that we were there, but none of us could have predicted some of the things that have happened in 2008. And the reality is, as you move past Thanksgiving and you start towards moving towards Christmas, you feel a little bit like a time when you reflect on what has happened in the past and you look forward to what God is going to do in your life in the future. And it's almost as if I was thinking this week that life for me at this moment is like an unopened present. You know, when I was a kid, my, uh, my mom and dad and I would take Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving, and that was decorating day. We didn't have to travel far for Thanksgiving. My grandparents lived in town with us. My, or my mom's parents lived in town with us. My dad's parents uh, or mother lived about... 10 miles away, and so it wasn't a very difficult Thanksgiving, and so we would do two Thanksgivings in one day. And we would come home on Friday or Saturday, and we would put up the tree, we'd put up all the decorations. And inevitably, Mom had already been shopping. And usually, on the Monday or Tuesday after Thanksgiving, presents would start arriving under the tree. Now, when I was growing up, I think Mom did this just to be cruel. The first present always was mine. And so somewhere around the end of November, a day like today, I would walk in there, and there sitting under the tree would be a present that just simply said, too loud from Mom and Dad. Now, I just want to be real honest. That is cruel and unusual punishment for an 8- to 10-year-old. Because I knew that we had a month, literally, before we ever were going to get to the moment when I could rip that present open and find out what was inside. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't try to figure it out during the month. There was shaking. There was attempted peeking. There was an always uh, trying to figure out how I could untape and retape without them knowing. But the anticipation killed me. I mean, sometimes you thought you knew what was in there. Sometimes you had a pretty good idea of what was in there. But sometimes you had no idea. The video that I watched reminded me that in many ways, those of us that are followers of Jesus are living in the middle of a time like Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
You see, we sing all these unbelievable songs at Christmas time of the hope and the joy and the love of Christ. And it is true that Christ is all of those things and brought all of those things. But while for many people it is the most wonderful time of year, I'm also reminded that for some people it's the most disappointing time of the year. For some people it's the hardest time of the year. For some people it's the saddest time of the year. And it doesn't mean that you've had to have something big happen in the last few months. It just seems that there are times in the midst of this Christmas season when you'll be singing a particular hymn or you'll be singing a particular carol or you'll be watching a particular show or something will come and a sudden wave of sadness comes. And this morning what I want to do is deal in a very real way with what happens in our lives, maybe this Christmas or maybe next summer. When we come to a place where we realize that things aren't working out like we thought they ought to work out. And how do we live in the midst of that? You know, I believe that, that Christmas is the most time of year. I mean, in many ways it is the most wonderful. It's definitely the most hectic with the most parties and the most food. It's also the the most in regards of schedules and, and commitments and all of those things. And sometimes I think that robs us from the ability to step back and deal with some issues that have to be dealt with. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me if you will. We're going to turn into the New Testament, into the book of Luke, chapter 7. Luke Chapter 7. And we're going to see someone this morning that dealt with disappointment. That dealt with the disappointment that came from not seeing God move as he thought. And we're going to talk through that and then ask the question, how do we keep on keeping on? Luke chapter 7. Starting in verse 18. It says, John's disciples told him all about these things. Now, We're not talking about John the Evangelist here, not John that wrote the book of John, but we're talking about John the Baptist. And it says, John's disciples told him all about these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord. Now, here's what happens. Jesus has his disciples, John has some disciples, and his disciples come to John visiting him in prison and saying, listen, you aren't going to believe all that Jesus is doing. And so they tell him everything that Jesus is doing. And in verse 19, John says, Go back to the Lord and ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you that question. Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? You know, Christmas is a time of great joy and great hymns and great carols and great songs. In fact, I was reading this week the words of an older hymn written for Christmas that talks about the joy that comes in this time of year. It says, Break forth, O beauteous heavenly light, and usher in the morning. These shepherds shrink not with a fright, but hear the angels' warning. This child, now weak in infancy, Our confidence and joy shall be the power of Satan breaking, our peace eternal making. 
break forth, O beauteous heavenly light, to herald our salvation. He stoops to the earth, the God of might, our hope and expectation. He comes in human flesh to dwell, our God with us, Emmanuel. The night of darkness ending, our fallen race befriending. There are a lot of reasons why sadness can come or difficulty can come at Christmas. Perhaps for you it has been a year, as was mentioned in the video, of a foreclosure or of a particular financial difficulty. Perhaps your job situation is not as it used to be. Perhaps you've lost a loved one or a family member or a relationship has broken down. And this Christmas, all those old traditions suddenly carry different meanings. But there's another reason I think that Christmas sometimes brings sadness. And it's because we are living in the middle. You see, we sing all these great songs. You know, one of my favorite Christmas hymns is Joy to the World, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. And every heart prepare Him room. You see, part of the reason I think that Christmas at times can be a sad occasion is because we realize that that great, wonderful, joyous proclamation has not come into effect yet. When you say joy to the earth or joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, we realize that there are literally billions of people who have not yet received their king. And as a result of that, there are people all over this world that are in the midst of suffering and violence and decay. News reports like what happened over in India just break our hearts. And what we're going to discover this morning is that that's exactly the same thing that John the Baptist was working through. And this morning, the question that I ask you is, if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're not, this morning, is there something within you that is saying, there's got to be something more, or it's not working out like I thought, or there's a disappointment in my heart about the way things are, there's something that I can't get past, is there something in your heart that is screaming out, like John the Baptist did, Jesus, are you really the one, or should we expect someone else? I want you to think for a minute about the history of Israel and how they had looked time and time and time again for this great one that was to come. The children of Israelites would sit and sing songs asking for their deliverer to come and to take them out of captivity, to come and to rescue them for the final time, to come and to be their deliverer. John the Baptist is born under unique circumstances. He comes out of the womb and knows from the very beginning of his life and his ministry that he is to be the forerunner of the one who is to come. And as he comes out, he begins to proclaim that Jesus is the one. And what happens is, through some situations that we'll talk about here in a minute, he suddenly gets to a place where he thinks to himself, have I completely missed it? You ever been there? Where you give your life and your heart and your soul to something? You give everything you've got, pour it into something, and in the midst of it, suddenly it's not what you expected, and you ask the question, did I miss it? John the Baptist at this time is sitting in a jail cell. You see, kind of the problem of being the forerunner to the one that was to come was that you had to tell people about their sin, and he got a particular guy mad who happened to be the ruler. 
Herod Antipas. And so he puts him in jail and he's sitting in jail and he says to himself, what am I going to do? Have I given everything I've got? Have I poured all of my life into this one thing and the thing that I've poured it into is not the real thing? Now, you're here this morning. Let me just say, I'm not trying to take you through a crisis of faith, all right? I'm not trying to take you through a crisis of faith. But I'm just trying to be real. I know that there's disappointment at times in life. I know that there's real challenges in life. And there are times in our lives when all of us, if we're honest, cry out and say, did I miss it? Two reasons I think John is upset here. First of all, Jesus did not meet his theological expectations. Now, you don't have a handout this morning. That doesn't mean you don't have to write stuff down, all right? I'm not giving you the week off. Write it down somewhere. It's okay in the margin of your Bible. John's upset because Jesus did not meet his theological expectations. John says that he baptizes with water, but that there is one who is coming will not baptize with water, but will baptize with spirit and fire. What he expected was that Jesus was going to come and that he was going to baptize these people, not with water, but with the very Spirit of God. And that in the midst of baptizing them with the Spirit, that what was going to follow out of that was the fire of God. Now, if you understand, in the Scriptures, the fire of God was the judgment that was to come. Theologically, John thought that Jesus was going to come preaching mercy and wrath. And all of a sudden, he hears these reports coming back from everything Jesus is doing, and all Jesus is doing is healing and helping. He's theologically disappointed. But let me tell you the real reason he's disappointed. He's disappointed because Jesus hadn't met his personal expectations. John the Baptist was a guy that was a little strange, right? Those of you that have or know the Bible, he was a little strange, amen? Wore weird clothes. Eight weird things I would not want to go to John the Baptist Thanksgiving meal. All right? I don't know whether you know or not, but this past week, I uh, had the stomach bug for a day or so. Apparently, that's pretty rampant in the church right now. I had nothing to do with it, all right? I caught it from you. But here was the thing. By the time I got to Thursday, my appetite was back. And all of God's people said, Amen. Or at least I did on that day. Now, John the Baptist was a guy that wouldn't have liked our traditional meal, would have eaten some weird things. He was kind of a strange kind of guy. He was a guy, though, that built a following as he went out into the wilderness and said, Repent! The kingdom of God is near. Quit doing what you're doing. Come and be baptized for the washing away of your sins. Get rid of the old self and walk in new life with God. He was a guy that went out to the wilderness and said, you have become a generation that are no longer following the Savior, that are following your God. And it is time to come back to what God has called you to do. In Southern Baptist tradition, he would have been known as a hellfire and brimstone kind of guy. When I was uh, in my previous church, we had a guy in that was uh, an evangelist, a guy named Ken Freeman. And Susan knew Ken from her time at Inglewood. He had done a lot of stuff at Inglewood. And he's a traveling evangelist speaking to youth. And Ken was a guy that was just off the wall. All right? Ken was a guy that literally came in and 
um, walked into service on Sunday morning. We, you know, invited him up to speak. And as he walked up, you could see on the back of his head, he had a cross shaved in the back of his head. And he walked up on the platform and he started to say things as a pastor I could never say. In fact, in the first minute and a half, he said stuff that would have got him fired if he was the pastor. But as the evangelist, everybody loved him. And for the next four days, he hit on our people, hammered on our people, hammered on me, called us to repent, called us to go back. And you know what? For four days, it was meeting with God, turning our lives back to him. And it was foundational to what God would do in my life over the next several years. John the Baptist was the traveling evangelist who hit that hammer all the time. And then Jesus comes, his cousin, and he says, this is the one. And John, although one of the greatest men ever, in fact, Jesus, or the New Testament would proclaim that outside of Jesus, the greatest man to ever live was John. He's a great man. But he was not perfect. And in the midst of trying to figure all this stuff out, what happens is he says to himself, Jesus is coming and he's going to be just like me, calling people to repent. And when he didn't call them to repent like he did, he got a little upset. But that wasn't the worst part. After he did what he knew he was supposed to do, called by God to do, he was following God's leadership. John the Baptist gets put in prison, and he thinks any day now Jesus is going to overthrow this government, come get me out of this jail cell, and we'll serve together, bringing glory back to God through his people. And yet here he sat in a jail cell without any sign that Jesus was coming. You know what I think? It says here in Scripture that John's disciples came and told him about all this. I believe that the reason that they came back to him is because John sent them to find out what was going on. I think they said, go find Jesus. Go find out what's happening. And when he gets back, let me know when he's coming to get me. And they come back and they say, he's not mentioning that. He's doing all this stuff. And John says, well, go back and say, are you really the one? Now, there are certain things that family can say to each other that you can get away with that you can't say to anybody else, right? And I believe John the Baptist here, as great of a man as he was, is being a little passive-aggressive here. Basically, he's saying, are you the one? Are we supposed to wait for somebody else? Because if we're waiting for somebody else, you've got to get me out of here. Regardless, it's time. Now, not only did it bother Jesus or bother John what Jesus was doing and not coming to get him, but it bothered him by who he was hanging out with and what was happening. So his personal expectations were not met. That's where it really comes down. Is there are moments in all of our lives when we think God ought to act in a certain way and God doesn't act in a certain way? When we think that we give our lives in a certain direction and that job, that business, that family, that, 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 that illness just doesn't work out like we thought. We pray and we pray and we pray and we feel God is calling us to step out on a limb with a business venture. And we step out on that limb and the next thing we know, it crumbles underneath us. We pray and we pray and we pray about who it is that God wants us to marry. And we marry that person and things are going well for a while. Things start to get a little rocky. And we pray and we pray and we pray. And the relationship still ends. 
One of our family members gets an illness out of the blue and we pray and we pray and we pray for God's healing and we know that God is perfectly capable of healing. He is all-powerful. He can do all things. And yet in the midst of that, God chooses not to heal. And before long, what we're saying is, God, are you the one or am I supposed to put my trust in another? Now, I realize this is not your normal first Sunday of Advent kind of sermon. But I think we have to build the real drama here before we ever get to understanding the hope that is in Christ. One of the things that I notice on television all the time is that when you're watching a show or a movie, that they let the hero get to the absolute last second before they die or get saved. Right? I mean, how many times have you ever seen someone disconnect a bomb with a minute and a half left? Right? There's always one second left. And here's the thing. In your mind, you know nothing's going to happen. Because you've already seen the previews for next week and they're still alive. You know nothing's going to happen. Or it's a movie and you know the sequel's in the works. But that tension is there. And this morning, I know that John the Baptist, being who he was, I think he knew in his heart of hearts that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. But in this moment of desperation, in this moment of desperation, he just says, did I choose the wrong way? Look at what Jesus answered him. Verse 21, it's interesting. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. It's almost as if Jesus says, you want to know the answer to that question? Let me show you and then let me tell you. I think that's interesting because Jesus often was the other way around. He would tell and then show, but here he shows and then tells. He says all that happens, verse 22, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. The first thing that he does here is that he assures him theologically, saying, listen, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Now what he does here is, in verse 21 and 22, is he begins to quote out of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 35, 46 says, Take courage, fear not, behold, your God will come. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. Isaiah 61, 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. See, what he says is, John, don't worry. You've put your faith in the right place. Now, here's what's interesting about that story. Everything didn't work out like John thought it would. John didn't end up getting out of prison, did he? No. He didn't get out of prison. In fact, there was a little festival that went on They were asking, what do you want, anything you want? And the lady at the party said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter, and that's what she got. 
And I think where John misunderstood some things and where we sometimes misunderstand is that we are living right in the middle. Theologians have these terms called the already not yet. That Jesus has already come, but his kingdom is not in fullness yet. It's almost like the present is sitting under the tree and we are in that time between November 30th and December 25th when we finally get to open the package. It's almost as if God has already promised what is going to happen. We have seen in Scriptures what is happening. Truly it is joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. But the truth is we haven't fully experienced what God is going to do yet. And the reality is that when that final package gets opened, what we will experience will be greater than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And what we have to realize is that we live in the middle. We have to go step by step, day by day, just trusting in the Lord. At the uh, Tennessee Baptist Convention a few weeks ago, we were sitting down on the front row and my father-in-law Father-in-law and I and Dr. David Dockery, president of the union, were all just kind of talking away a little bit. We were doing things that would get us in trouble in church if we were kids and our parents were behind us. People were talking on the platform. We were talking in the pews. And then one of those moments that you don't expect kind of happened. Some of you may know this, and I've shared this with many of you, but they asked my father-in-law to come up and to speak. The president of the convention said he felt led by the Lord to kind of talk, and you're going to get to hear my father-in-law next week. I'm in school for the next two weeks, and so he'll be here next week. And he's going to talk a little bit about what has happened and what God has taught him as he's gone through this struggle with Marilyn and losing his wife over the last two years. And as he got up on there, on the stage, and he had unprepared, he, he didn't know it was happening, Literally, he was talking to me when the president said, and now, Dr. Phil Jett, would you come up and speak? He walked up to the platform and he said that two years ago we found out that Marilyn had significant cancer with no hope from any doctor. And he said in the midst of that, we decided that the only thing we needed to do was just to trust the Lord just to trust the Lord. You know, the reality is that was the year that he was president of the convention and he literally found out the week before he was to preside over the convention that Marilyn had cancer. He did the convention and then two days later, Marilyn had surgery. And as I've thought about that, that, that phrase over and over again in the week that has passed and even as our family ourselves have gathered for Thanksgiving, as we've celebrated Thanksgiving, as we've looked to a Christmas that is unlike anything our family has experienced before. And as we even, though there are three pastors in the family and we know all of the truths that are contained in God's Word and we understand everything in the promises of God, still struggle with the reality that there is a deep loss in our family this year. I keep thinking back to this story and to those words. And basically what Jesus told John the Baptist is, you just keep trusting. You just trust in the Lord. 
as we live in this already not yet. We must learn to live by faith. Jesus basically looks at John and says, this is what is happening. I'm doing it as it talks about in Scripture. And blessed is he who's not tripped up because I'm not meeting all of their expectations. The reality is that what he's telling John is there's more of the story that has to come. Jesus is saying to us, I understand your confusion. I understand the disappointment. I understand the difficulty. But trust me, I am the promised one. John asked the question because he knows, saw no fire. Jesus was moving too slowly. And I ask you in your life today, why is the disappointment there? Jesus still calls out to us. Trust us. Trust Him. He says He understands our confusion. Let Him be who He is in His way, in His time. You know, one of the realities is, as we get ready to enter into this season of Christmas, we are doing so today. In just a minute, we'll have the Lord's Supper and we'll celebrate that together. And what we understand on this side of the New Testament that John the Baptist never got to witness before his death is that we realize that the only reason that Christmas meant anything, the only reason that Jesus' birth, His life, His ministry meant anything is because of Good Friday and Easter and Pentecost and the coming second coming. We have to remember that what we celebrate at Christmas is but the first chapter of the story. That the Word becoming flesh and living among us is but the first chapter of the story. You see, the purpose of Jesus' birth is incomplete without His death. The purpose of His death is incomplete without His resurrection. The purpose of His resurrection is incomplete without the Spirit coming upon His people. And the purpose of the Spirit on the people is incomplete without Jesus coming again in glory to baptize the world in fire and to take those of us that are believers in Him to be with Him forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And so this Christmas, when those moments of disappointment might come, I would just simply say to him, Lord Jesus, come, Emmanuel. Come back in fullness in my life. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit. Give me access to your heart and mind. Fill me and use me to further your redemptive purposes. And just as those children of Israel cried time and time and time again, come, Deliverer, Emmanuel, the Promised One, Messiah, come. So we scream out like the writer of Revelation that says, Lord Jesus, we want You to come again quickly. You see, because the promise of Scripture is that the package that we have from the Lord is not yet opened. This morning, it's been a little different sermon. He hadn't had points up on the screen. It's been one simple image. The truth is, the reason that it's one simple image is that it's just a package. And I don't know that you can see it from where you are, but on the label of the package, it just says, to you, love God. And the image that I have in mind today is this Christmas season, as we're living in this middle, 
I believe that God gives us gifts that we open on a regular basis. And I'm not talking about spiritual gifts here, but I'm talking about gifts of His presence, gifts of time, gifts of relationships, gifts of conversations, gifts of having things happen in our lives that help us draw us closer to Him. And I believe this Christmas, as we're living in the midst of this time of already and not yet, that God has some very specific things He wants you to learn and understand and come to know about Him. But the only way that that package ever gets open is just completely trusting in Him. And so this Christmas, the question that I have for you, what, is those, what are those unopened gifts that God has for you? What are those unopened gifts in your times of disappointment? What are those unopened gifts in those times of joy? What are those unopened gifts that God has for you this Christmas?